Did you know that sleep hygiene is so bad at treating insomnia that it's used as the placebo in clinical sleep trials? That's right. Before you invest a ton more money in darker blackout curtains and fancy mattresses, let's talk about the science behind sleep and sleep hygiene first. Welcome back to Savvy Psychologist. My name is Dr. Jade Wu, and I'm your host. Every week, I'll help you meet life's challenges with evidence-based research, a sympathetic ear, and zero judgment. Insomnia is one of the most frustrating experiences in our modern existence. You stare up at the ceiling, or worse, at the red numbers on a clock, mind buzzing with random thoughts, tossing and turning while everyone else snores away blissfully. It can really drive a person crazy. Everyone has insomnia sometimes. Even though I'm a sleep expert and I was lucky enough to be born with good sleep genes, I still sometimes toss and turn all night, believe it or not. And these occasional sleepless nights are actually totally fine. They just mean you're excited about something or you have had one too many cups of coffee or some other fluke stars aligned to make you unable to shut down for a night or two in a row. All you have to do is ride it out, knowing that you'll be back to your normal sleep routine soon. But for many people, insomnia becomes chronic. If you're having a really hard time falling or staying asleep a few times per week, and this has been going on for a few months, then we're dealing with a different animal. Chronic insomnia can really disrupt your life. It puts a damper over your everyday mood and turns sleep into a chore instead of a relief. If you don't have chronic insomnia yourself, I bet you know someone who does. About 1 in 10 adults have chronic insomnia by the strictest diagnostic criteria. But if you ask everyone visiting a primary care doctor, 1 in 3 will have chronic insomnia. In my own clinic, the average patient has had chronic insomnia for 15 years before finding their way to me because they didn't even know there were treatment options other than Ambien and sleep hygiene. And that's because most doctors go to for treating insomnia are Ambien or other prescription sleep medications and sleep hygiene. As a psychologist and not a medical doctor, it's not my place to talk in depth about medications. But I can talk to you about sleep hygiene. I'm sure you've already heard some things about it. So here's what the National Sleep Foundation recommends, slightly paraphrased, for sleep hygiene. So that includes avoiding stimulants such as caffeine and nicotine close to bedtime, exercising but not too close to bedtime, steering clear of food that can be disruptive right before sleep, ensuring adequate exposure to natural light, Establishing a regular, relaxing bedtime routine, making sure that the sleep environment is comfortable by using blackout curtains, keeping it cool, banning all screens, having a comfortable mattress. But I'll let you in on the best kept secret in sleep medicine. Sleep hygiene does not cure insomnia. In fact, it's so well known among sleep experts that sleep hygiene is useless for insomnia, that we use it as the placebo treatment in our clinical trials. So why do doctors tell us to follow sleep hygiene? Why do reputable authorities on sleep, like the National Sleep Foundation, recommend sleep hygiene on their website? The answer is complicated. Sleep hygiene in and of itself is not bad. 
the recommendations are not wrong. In fact, I very much support them as general guidelines for healthy sleep, especially the recommendation about getting exercise and exposure to natural light during the day. But while these recommendations are good for general maintenance, they simply do not address the root of the insomnia problem. Think of it this way. Dental hygiene is great. Brushing and flossing will help to prevent cavities. But once you already have a cavity, no amount of brushing is going to get rid of it. Setting up a comfortable sleep environment is great too and may prevent your sleep from being disrupted by things like excessive heat. But once you already have chronic insomnia, other biological and psychological processes that are way stronger than temperature have already taken over and no amount of trial and error with your thermostat is going to change those processes. So what are these other biological and psychological processes and how can we change those instead? Well, if you let me, I'd talk your ear off about this for hours. So instead, let's just focus on two of the most important ones. Number one, insomnia saps your sleep drive, but you can build it back up. The homeostatic sleep drive is like hunger. The longer you go without sleep, the more sleep drive you build up. All you have to do is to be upright and awake with your eyes open. Bonus points if you're physically active and get plenty of light during the day. When healthy sleepers go to bed, they have enough sleep drive built up to cash in for a night of good quality sleep. People with chronic insomnia probably don't for a few reasons. One possible reason is that they try to sleep in or go to bed early in order to make up for lost sleep, so they don't have as much wakeful, active time to build up their sleep drive during the day. Or they try to nap or lie down to rest during the day, so they're dipping into the sleep drive piggy bank that they've been saving up, leaving less for the nighttime. Or they're less active during the day because they're either trying to conserve energy or they feel too tired or cranky to fully engage in their daily activities. Now, doing these things will feed a vicious cycle where the more someone has insomnia, the less they get what they really need, which is solid sleep drive. Here's how to get out of that cycle. Number one, get up at the same time every day, even if you didn't sleep well. This guarantees that you'll at least reset for today with a robust sleep drive. Number two, don't go to bed until you're sleepy. And by sleepy, I don't mean sluggish or washed out and so done with the day. That's called fatigue, which is not the same thing as sleepy. Sleepy means your eyes are drifting shut. It's hard to concentrate on the book you're reading or the show you're watching. You're yawning a lot, and you may even catch yourself nodding a little bit. That's sleepy. Number three, don't try to nap during the day. Unless, of course, you're driving and you're already nodding off. Brute force your way through the after-lunch dip or that sluggish feeling of being sleepy in the afternoon, knowing that you're saving up that sweet, sweet sleep drive for later tonight. Okay, so we've talked about the first major biological and psychological process, which is that sleep drive needs to build up during the day for you to cash in for a good night of sleep. That's sleep drive. Now, the second most important 
process is that insomnia makes your brain hyperactive in bed, but you can reset that switch. So one thing that works against sleep drive, which we just talked about, in people with insomnia is called conditioned arousal. It's just a scientific term for the experience where you begin to feel sleepy and it seems like a reasonable time for bed, but as soon as you lie down, it's like a switch has turned on and your brain is suddenly super awake and active. Why does this happen? Only because our brains are very good at putting two and two together. If every time you go to your favorite restaurant, you eat yummy food, then your mouth will start to automatically water when you see a commercial for that restaurant. If every time you lie down in bed and you have insomnia and busy brain, then your mind will automatically start acting up when you go to bed. You can't even control it. After you had insomnia enough times, your brain has trained itself to expect insomnia when you go to bed. And what your brain expects, it does. So how do you hit the reset button and retrain your brain to see your bed as a place for sleep? Here are some ways to help. Number one, just like we already talked about, don't go to bed until you're sleepy. And don't linger in bed once you're fully awake for the day. This will limit the amount of time that you spend awake in bed, learning and learning over and over again that the bed is the place to be awake. Number two, If you cannot fall asleep in about 20 or 30 minutes or fall back to sleep after waking in the night, get out of bed. Sometimes it's tempting to try for a little more sleep. You think that if you move slowly and don't make any noise, you could trick your brain into just drifting off again. What's really happening is that you're risking spending even more time awake in bed, hammering home the message that the bed is a place for not only being awake, but for struggling and trying really hard. It's important to know that it's not necessary to watch the clock to track the 20 to 30 minute rule. In fact, this will backfire by making you even more anxious or frustrated. The exact amount of time to wait before getting up is not that important. What's more important is the feeling of being awake or struggling to fall asleep. If you feel very awake or you're starting to fret about sleep, that's your cue to get up and do something to take your mind off of insomnia. And by the way, there are no real strict rules about what you can do when you do get up in the middle of the night. Yes, you can watch a little bit of TV. Yes, you can read. Yes, you can do chores. You don't have to sit there in the dark, you know, meditating or being really quiet. It's okay. Just do something that will engage you enough to take your mind off of insomnia. So one caveat for all of these recommendations is that they're designed for adults. They may not apply to teens depending on their sleep habits and other factors that affect their sleep. For example, if the reason that a 15-year-old can't fall asleep is because he's been playing first-person shooter video games all evening, then waiting to feel sleepy for bedtime is not the answer. For teens, I'd be much more inclined to recommend good old-fashioned sleep hygiene. And if these tips are not enough to break you out of your chronic insomnia cycle, it's time to consult an insomnia expert. Ask your primary care doctor and your friends about cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, or for short, it's CBTI. Usually someone who's trained to provide this treatment is a psychologist 
but other healthcare professionals like nurses and social workers may be able to provide it as well. It's a short-term treatment that is worth the investment. After all, sleep is like food and water, one of our basic biological needs. Getting it right sets you on solid footing for living your healthiest and happiest life. You all know that I love talking about sleep. I could go on forever. So let me know what questions you have about sleep, what topics you want to hear more about. And meanwhile, you can reach me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at QDT Savvy Psych and at Jade Wu PhD. If you'd like psychology tips delivered straight to your inbox, subscribe to the Savvy Psychologist newsletter. And you can also subscribe and listen to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Meanwhile, sweet dreams, sleep tight, and Savvy Psychologist is audio engineered by Steve Rickyberg and edited by Karen Hertzberg. As always, Savvy Psychologist is strictly for informational purposes and does not substitute for mental health care from a licensed professional. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next week for a happier, healthier mind. Are you tired of the constant battle with anxiety and panic? I've got a podcast that I think you'll love. It's called the Anxiety Coaches Podcast, where the host, Gina, gives you your weekly dose of tranquility and inspiration. Two new episodes drop weekly, packed with practical tips and lifestyle changes to help you calm that racing heart and bring peace back into your life. So if you're ready to bid farewell to sleepless nights and constant worry, tune into the Anxiety Coaches podcast and embark on a journey towards lasting calmness and a life free from anxiety's grip. Remember, it's not just a podcast, it's a lifeline. Join Gina on the Anxiety Coaches podcast and let her soothing words be the balm your nervous system needs. Listen in and start your path to healing today. The Anxiety Coaches Podcast.com because healing begins the first time you listen.